1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 9. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. May the Lord bless the reading of his word in our presence this morning. We are in a series on the book of 1 Corinthians, and one of the things that we've discovered very quickly in our study of unity in the church is that the book of 1 Corinthians is very pointed and very practical. I thought, man, over the past two weeks, I have had some difficult sermons to preach. Uh, I hope you were feeling my pain when I was having to preach those subjects and the things that I had to say, but I have to be true to the Word of God. And if you're feeling pain for my sake, that's great. On the other hand, if you're feeling conviction because of the hard preaching and the practical preaching, then do something about it. And Joe, I thought, man, today... It should be a whole lot easier than, than the past two weeks. I'm preaching about something easy. And then I realized, oh man, I'm preaching about marriage. What's easy about marriage? Not a lot. And I want to tell you that in answering some questions about marriage, boy, you guys are a tough crowd this morning. I got two giggles out of the, out of the whole crowd are you feeling conviction already? Is that, is, is that what it is? Now, I want to tell you that in dealing with marriage this morning, this is not an exhaustive study of theological treaties on marriage. Rather, understand the context. Um, Paul says, about those things you ask about, they had asked some specific questions about marriage. And so what I'm going to be doing is basically summing up that whole 40 verses of chapter 7. Instead of doing 40 verses, we're doing four questions that they had asked and Paul answered about marriage. And my hope is that the Word of God will find lodging, that God will bless by His Spirit, and we will all learn something or commit to something through the message today. Again, four questions about marriage. The first question, should I get married? Now, there are people here in the service this morning who are probably asking themselves that question. 
not necessarily just young people. There are others who may be asking the question, shall I get married? Well, I need you to understand something. God created marriage for our happiness. Uh, chapter 7, verse 2 says, Each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. That is as God designed it. By the way, I, I, you know, my analytical mind, I, I, I don't say that braggingly, I, I break things apart. Is that a good thing to always break things down? My, when I see that, and, and I'm talking about practical preaching, the first thing I see is there's no such thing, <clears throat> according to the Apostle Paul, <clears throat> I'm going to need that water, um, there's no such thing as homosexual marriage. Each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. He made us male and female, Adam and Eve were the first couple, and that is the example. I know that open thinkers and people who consider themselves progressive today may disagree with that. Take it up with God. Don't argue with me. He's the one who created us, and that's how He made it, and that is God's rule. That's not Lynn's rule. That's God's rule. My apologies. <clears throat> the other thing, having worked in Africa, and none of you ever thought about this. I know you didn't. But that verse also prohibits polygamy. Now, see, I had to deal with polygamy in Africa, and I had to search the Bible very, and, and learn very clearly what the Bible says about polygamy. Now, I've told some of you before <clears throat> that Brenda always said that if I was going to have another wife, she wanted to be the city wife. She didn't want to be the country wife because the country wife had to raise the children, take care of the in-laws, and do all the farming. She said, if you take another, I'm, I am going to be the city wife, not the country wife. Well, I, I've also jokingly, some of you have heard me say, uh, Mark Twain was answering the question, where does the Bible ever say anything against polygamy? He says, well, any fool knows that. He said, you've heard the verse that says, no man can serve two masters. And so the verse makes it clear that it's a man and a woman. Not two men, not two women. A man and a woman. The Bible prohibits homosexuality. It also prohibits polygamy. Jesus Himself, and I started to make this in red because it's the words of Jesus, but Delane, it just didn't show up, <clears throat> show up good on the screen. <clears throat> in red, have you not read that He who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall hold fast to his wife. I'll, that'll choke me to death, but thank you. You're very generous. <clears throat> and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. God created marriage for the happiness of the human race. And that is the norm. Most of us, most people will be married. Any other plan keeps us from fulfilling the commandment of God to replenish the earth. 
because there is no procreation in homosexual marriage and in singleness. And so this is God's primary plan. You say, well, why did he start with singleness first? And he did. You remember that I said he was answering questions that they had asked him. Shelley, I think that they wrote to him and said, shouldn't people be single? And so he answered their question, and he said, yes, it's okay to stay single. By the way, some of us need to hear that. It's okay to not be married if you're able. He says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now, it's amazing the different ways that phrase is translated. Um, in King James, in the old translation, it said, good for a man not to touch a woman. Well, I'd be in trouble because I'm a hugger. You know, some of you should have said amen to that. You've learned that. But some of, some of you men have been embarrassed because I hug men too. I'm, I'm just, I'm a hugger. Of course, I've, I've learned, Don, who not to hug, you know. Why did I say Don's name when I said that? And when it says not to touch a woman, the literal translation is to be fastened to a woman. You can understand why this translation says what it does. But, but it's talking about marriage. It's, it's okay to be single. It's good to be single. But it's better to be married. So what's the criteria? How do you decide whether you should be single or not? He was teaching about divorce, and divorce must have really been common in Christ's day because the disciples, when he told them, you can't just up and get a divorce because you want one, um, he gave a specific reason for divorce. The disciples said to him, if, if that's the way it is, it's better not to marry. It's better to stay single, to never be married. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. And he gave different classes of singleness. He says there are eunuchs, there are singles. He does not necessarily mean a eunuch. He is talking about singles who have been so from birth. Now, there are people who are born to be single. The problem is some of them are married, and it makes them very hard to live with. Come on, this is a heavy subject. You can... <laughs> but seriously, there are those who have the gift from God from birth not to need a mate. And if that's the case then it's okay for them to be single. I'm really going to dive off the deep end. I will say to you that there are people who are born, there are men who are born with a more effeminate nature in their characteristics. That does not mean that they're homosexual. Nobody is born a homosexual. No one. They make that decision. Sometimes we force people into that category because a man is effeminate or a woman is strong in character. And so we pigeonhole them and they feel they have no other choice and it is a sin against God when we do that. Even some people 
have same gender attraction. Listen to me. There is no difference in same gender attraction and other gender, gender attraction until it's acted upon. Because someone is attracted to someone of the same gender is not any more a sin than if I'm attracted to a woman other than my wife. Both are lust. It only becomes a sin against God that is an odious sin when they act upon it. All of us have temptations that we reject. But when you act upon that desire, that's when it becomes odious to God. We need to understand that. There are those who've been that way from birth. There are others who've been made eunuchs by men. That is physical castration. There are eunuchs who've made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. They've made a commitment that they will remain celibate. They will remain single for all of their days. Let each one who is able receive this. Not everybody can do that. Not everyone can make that commitment. Paul says in verses 6 and 7, Now as concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, that is, single, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one from another. If you feel that God intends for you to be single all your days, Remember that verse that Cheryl read. She did a good job of reading it without blushing. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. If you cannot remain single and celibate and be faithful in your sexuality, faithful to God, it's better to marry. It's okay to be single. It's better to marry. The next question uh, in shall I get married, the issue is intimacy. Uh, I did not have her read all of that, but I do need to tell you that intimacy, sexual intimacy, is important in marriage. He said, uh, I guess she did read all that, but because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to the husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. That indicates that both the husband and the wife have their needs and neither has control over their own bodies, but each out of benevolence, out of love, and out of care makes themselves available to their mate to satisfy those needs. Sexuality in marriage is God-ordained. I would... Um, forgot to read the rest of the verse afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. There's a reason for satisfying that. But understand, God put sex in marriage. And sex within the boundaries of marriage 
is a beautiful thing. It is a picture of the relationship that we have with God, that intimacy, that closeness. He put it in marriage for more than procreation. It is intended to be enjoyed within the bounds of marriage. One of the problems we have in our day is that too many couples, once they become engaged or even before they become engaged, act as if they were married. That's hurtful for the resulting marriage. Let me encourage our young people. Stay pure. Save yourselves for the mate that God will give you. And God will bless you for it in your marriage. For all of us, ladies, men, men husbands, wives, sex is to remain within the boundaries of marriage. That goes against Hollywood. That goes against the modern culture. Stay faithful to your mate. Because that intimacy is important. He ordained the intimacy, and He ordained the boundaries of that intimacy. Second question, should I stay in this marriage? That may be a weird question to ask in a Baptist church, but let's put it in context. I said, Jace, that he's answering questions that the church at Corinth had, had sent to him. It's obvious that that was one of the questions, right? Shall I stay in this marriage? Now understand, what had happened, Terry, some of those members of the church at Corinth had, were already married when they became believers in Jesus Christ. And now what do I do? I'm a Christian. My husband is a heathen. Some wives think that all husbands are heathen. But I'm a believer, and my husband is a heathen. Or I'm a believer, and my wife is an unbeliever. Now what do I do? She's going to the temple. She's going and understand for the wife whose husband is an unbeliever. You remember what I said went on at the temples in Corinth in that day? There were temple prostitutes. That was a part of the worship. That is unbelievable to us, and yet it was common in that day. What do I do now that I'm a believer and I was married when I became a believer? First of all, we need to understand that God hates divorce. It was never His plan. It was given as concession where there was sexual immorality. He, uh, in the NLT, Malachi 2.16 says, For I hate divorce, says Jehovah, the God of Israel. God hates divorce. Jesus said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. That's a quote from Genesis. Uh, I don't know whether God said that in Genesis or Adam said that in Genesis, but it's recorded in Genesis. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother. That whole thing is in the book of Genesis and is quoted several times throughout the New Testament. Jesus added, What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. I need you to understand something. Don and Mary, when you went to the altar and you exchanged those vows, 
The preacher may have married you legally, but God married you. You know, if we would understand that, there'd be less divorce. I, I, I still laugh when I think about the quote from Billy Graham's wife. Before Billy Graham died, somebody was interviewing her, talking about how long they'd been married, and said, did you never consider diver divorce? She said, oh, no, never considered divorce. Murder, yes, but divorce, no. <laughs> Let not man separate. God joins you together. And we need that understanding that God created marriage. And when you stepped to the altar and made those promises to each other, hey, even, get me, there's no record of how to do a marriage, how to do a wedding in the Bible. And traditions change. So if you stood before a justice of the peace, or if you were in the village and you went to the chief, in fact, I'll tell you how it's done in the village. The, the husband, the groom, goes to the father-in-law and says, I want your daughter, and he tells him how much she'll cost. And if he agrees to pay the bride price, she takes, he takes him away. And they are legally married. If you've done it that way, and that's the custom, and the community looks as, at you as if you're married. God formed the marriage. There's not a verse in the Bible that says you have to get married in church. That's Catholic doctrine. It's not Bible doctrine. But what you have to do is commit to each other, make a covenant with each other, and understand that it's God who welds you together and you make a vow never to break that vow, never to break that weld. Should I stay in marriage? Well, he explains believers should stay together. Believers, some of you say I go too fast on some of those slides and you can't write it in. It says believers should stay together. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. In other words, God, the Lord himself spoke about this. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Believers should make the marriage work. Work at marriage. I know that the, the exception to the rule, the, the excuse for divorce that Jesus gave is if there is sexual immorality in the marriage, in that case, you may divorce your spouse. But I need to tell you something. God still hates divorce. And if you can make the marriage work, if you can make the marriage work, work at it. Understand, marriage will always be work. Not a single amen. Wow. Marriage will be hard work. But I need to tell you that thing about sexual immorality. Statistics demonstrate that marriages, in a majority of cases, survive an affair. You say, my husband's having an affair. My wife is having an affair. I have to divorce them. No, you don't have to. You may get to the point where you cannot, you have no other choice because they're going to leave. 
But if you can save your marriage, save your marriage, stay with your mate. On the other hand, believers should stay in the marriage if they possibly can. The lost spouse wants to divorce. He says, let them go. Allow them to leave. That may sound like strange advice, but it's in the Bible. He says, to the rest I say, I, not the Lord. In other words, the Lord didn't speak specifically about this, but by inspiration of God, Paul is. That if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. I need to explain that. That does not mean that your lost husband is saved because you're a believer and he's not. What it means is your marriage is sanctified. You're not living in sin. God has joined you together. Your marriage is sacred. And so the marriage is sacred even though only one of you is a believer. He also says because otherwise your children would be unclean. Do you understand what that means? That means we use a word that's a curse word today for a son who has no mother, or, or I'm sorry, has no father, a daughter who has no father, someone who is born out of wedlock is illegitimate. They're an illegitimate child. And what he's saying is, your children would be illegitimate. But as it is, because they're born out of wedlock, they are not illegitimate. My grandfather was a pastor for a lot of years. Preached till he was 92 years old out of, out of Tupelo, Mississippi. Preached on the radio every Sunday. And I was a little surprised because there was a lot of theological argument as, when I was a young preacher about whether you should perform a wedding between a believer and an unbeliever. Now let me tell you, do not use these verses as an excuse to be married to an unbeliever. Charles, I wish I could withdraw blood from all of the couples I've counseled who've done that and make a vaccine out of it to give to couples who come and they want to be married when one of them is an unbeliever. It would keep them, if they could just understand, I don't have to have their blood, I could take their tears and make a vaccine. Don't. Young people, listen to me. Don't marry an unbeliever. You will suffer because of it. So I was a little surprised when my grandfather said, no, I'll marry him. I said, well, why? He said, it's better for them to be married and have ch children legally than it is to live together without the benefit of marriage and have illegitimate children. I'd never thought about that. My grandpa taught me that. I'm still trying to swallow it. But if the unbelieving part partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. That is, they're free to remarry. 
God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? If you are married to an unbeliever. Now remember, Paul was writing to people who had already been married and then got saved. And he's saying, stay in your marriage through your love, through your testimony, your sharing of what God has done in your life, you may lead your lost spouse to Christ. You may be the reason they get saved. Work on your marriage. Make your marriage work. God intends your marriage to last forever. The third question, by the way, is what impact will it have on my service to God? If I stay single, if I get married, what difference does it make? Not many people think about that. Not many people, I'm afraid, ever ask the question, what, how will getting married or not getting married, or who I marry, how will that impact my service to God, my ministry to the Lord? Well, for one thing, being single means more freedom to serve. In chapter 7, verses 32 and 34, he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, to be, how to be holy in body and in spirit. If you're single, there are less complications and it is easier not to be distracted and to be dedicated to the Lord. But remember, not everyone has that ability. Being married means service becomes more complicated. Service becomes more complicated. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Remember that verse I shared with you, no man can serve two masters? No, that's, that's a joke. But the truth is, we do have to take care of our wives. The wives have to take care of their husbands, and we have to take care of our children and one of the problems as a pastor, as I lead this church, and this is something every church deals with, I say that every church should think about this, but not every church does. Because churches often plan so many events that marriages are hurt by the church. You've got something on Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Saturday morning, three services on Sunday, I'm in the choir, I play music, I teach a class, I'm a part of the Wednesday night children's program. When do I have time for my family? Let me tell you, we need to be careful about that church because God blesses marriage. It is, marriage is a blessing and we need to make sure that we're helping our marriages and not hurting them. We need to build marriages and not destroy them then 
the final question. Am I free to remarry? I've already answered that question about the one, the believing woman or believing man whose spouse left them, let them go, and you are not, you are free under those circumstances. But the context of the verses that I'll read to you are specifically about widows and widowers. The general rule is this. One is bound as long as his or her spouse is living. That's chapter 7, verse 39. Now, I need to say this. We close a wedding by saying, as long as you both shall live. Now, that's not a motive for murder. It is a lifelong commitment. You know, one of the things that I worry about in today's culture, Jimmy, I, I feel like couples are getting married and they've been taught that if it doesn't work out, they can just get a divorce. And I am convinced, Tim, that if you do that, if you get married that way, you're going to get a divorce. It's a foregone conclusion because marriage is not easy. You have to work at it. And if you go into the marriage thinking there's an escape hatch and I can just take it if I'm not happy. You know what the biggest lie on earth is? God wants me to be happy. That's been used for every sin in the book. Well, God wants me to be happy. And so I'm going to leave my wife and go with that woman because I'll be happy if I do that. Or, or I'm going to be in a homosexual relationship because God wants me to be happy. Read the book. Read the book. God wants you to be happy in Him. In the way that He commands. He has designed His Word, His creation, for your fulfillment in Him. He is the spring of living water. Nobody else is, and nobody's body is. He is the spring of living water. Your satisfaction and your happiness is found in Him. It's for a lifetime. That means when your spouse dies, you are free to remarry. Now, I think we all understand that, but I suspect that they might not have understood that in Paul's day. I think there are some people today who do not understand that. They think that when a husband dies, that the woman has to remain single for the rest of her days. I've actually heard that taught. The Bible contradicts that. You are free to remarry. And it says, free to marry anyone she wishes but he must belong to the Lord. There's that command again. Don't marry an unbeliever. I, I do have to add something. He says, in my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. Years ago, a friend of mine lost his wife, and he soon found another woman to marry, one of her friends said to her, I know she did because she told me she 
said it. She said, I need you to understand before you marry him, there are some things worse than loneliness. I suspect she's learning that now. You need to think about that. Don't marry somebody who is an unbeliever. Be careful about marrying someone who came from a bad marriage because they will bring baggage with them. And when you're trying to make the decision, your husband died, your wife died, and you're trying to decide whether to marry or not, some of you have done that and done very well. Praise God for you. There are others who did not marry well, and they wish they never had. Don't just marry out of loneliness. Make sure that God is leading in that remarriage and that He has put you together with someone that loves you and that you can love. And they too. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Listen, I need you to understand. What's the bottom line? Your marriage is important to God. Your marriage is important to God. Make sure your marriage glorifies Him. When's the last time you told your wife, I will love you till the day I die. I will never leave you. You say, well, she knows that. Bet she'd love to hear it. Not a woman said amen. Wives, when's the last time you said to your husband, you're the only one I want. There's nobody else. I love you with all my heart. And I will never leave you. That's important, guys. That covenant, that commitment, repeated often, is countercultural. It's against what the world teaches, but it's fundamental for a marriage that glorifies God. I've said to you many times that I believe in practical preaching, and therefore I believe in practical invitations. So I'm going to give a multiple invitation right now. If you're on the live stream, you can do this too. I'm going to ask all of you, present or on the live stream, if you're sitting by your mate, all of you bow your heads and close your eyes, please. If you're sitting by your spouse, reach over and take his or her hand right now, please. It's all right, you've already contaminated each other before you got here, so it's okay to hold hands. Will you right now, before God, commit your marriage to the Lord and say to each other, I want our marriage to glorify God? Will you do that? Whisper it. Say it loud. I don't care. But say it to each other. I want our marriage to glorify God.